Well, please give your ear to the Word of God from Psalm 29, our Old Testament reading. We've just sung it, where we see uh, just a wonderful depiction of the power of the Word and the voice of our God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your voice, that same voice which spoke and all creation came to be. We remember, Lord, that your word is unimaginably powerful. We cannot even comprehend what it truly means that you merely speak and it comes to pass. That your word goes forth and it never returns void, but always accomplishes the purposes which you intend. And so as we come to your word now, we ask that you would be at work among us by your spirit to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand that the words we read are not merely the words of men, but are the very word of God. And we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to respond with repentance and faith, that we would turn to the Lord Jesus and find our refuge in him, the only mediator between God and man, and the only name in heaven on earth by which mankind can be saved. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus. We thank you for your word. And we ask that from your word, you would show us more of Jesus tonight. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Word of God from Psalm 29. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is God's word from the Old Testament. Turn with me as well, or otherwise give your attention to God's word from the New Testament as we Look at 2 Corinthians yet again, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This has been our sermon series for some time now at Redeemer OPC in Danville, which is why we consider it this evening together. We'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. There God says, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before, and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. wonder if any of you have ever had the experience, any of you who uh, have have been or are parents, or any of you who perhaps were children giving your parents this experience, where uh, perhaps mom and or dad send you upstairs and uh, ask you to clean your room. And they send you upstairs and they tell you to clean up. And you go upstairs with your brother or your sister and you think, I don't want to clean my room, I want to play. And so you play with all your toys and you make an even bigger mess. And then maybe mom or dad come upstairs and they check in and they think, I told you to clean up. Why is your room such a big mess? Clean your room. And then you think, well, I still don't want to clean my room. I'm going to continue playing. And maybe as you play with your brother or your sister, you get in a fight over whose toys are whose and whose stuffed animals are whose. These things have never happened in my own home, by the way. My, my children are perfect. It's, it's never happened. Uh, and then maybe mom or dad comes up for a second or a third time. And maybe this time there's a little bit uh, more emphasis on their footsteps coming up the stairs. Thud, thud, thud. Mom and dad starting to run out of patience. And the tone becomes more stern. You need to clean your room or you're going to get in trouble. And then perhaps the children still decide not to listen. And then... They have an unpleasant time as mom or dad have to discipline them in some fashion. Well, coming to the conclusion of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul's second letter recorded in Scripture here, this is Paul's uh, Paul's getting ready for his third trip up the stairs, and he is not pleased with what his children have been up to here in the Corinthian church. He's getting ready to visit them for a third time over the span of a couple of years on his uh, missionary journeys. There are all of these problems. We read some of them uh, earlier this morning, these problems where they are following after super apostles. They're not following uh, the Apostle Paul in his ministry. There's uh, dissension, quarreling, jealousy, anger, gossip, all kinds of problems. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 20 in the church, uh, there's sexual immorality of a potentially scandalous nature. And Paul is coming back and he, uh, he concludes here in these verses with a fairly stern warning to his spiritual children, the church, that they need to shape up or they are not going to be happy with what they find from Paul when he visits. And the, the key issue that Paul is attempting to press upon the Corinthians here in these four verses is that his ministry of the Word of God is powerful and effective to deal with sin and with the problems in their church. That's the the core uh, issue at debate here between Paul in his ministry and the Corinthians. And so Paul warns them that he is going to deal by his ministry of the Word with their sin. It will be done in the power of the resurrected Christ And they need to take note of their sin, where they've been confronted on their sin, and they need to repent before he gets there, lest they face formal discipline for their actions. Paul is impressing upon us that the ministry of the Word is powerful and effective to deal with sin. This remains true to us today, that the ministry of the Word of God, God's Word, is powerful 
to deal with sin. God doesn't use one disciplinary method of his word for light offenses and then have some form of spanking prepared for us if we really get out of line. It's his word all the way. His word is what instructs us. It's what disciplines us. It's what, it's what corrects us. And it is sufficient to deal even with the complicated and messy sins such as were present in the church in Corinth. I want us to look at this uh, and how Paul responds to them here in three parts this evening. Uh, first, uh, as uh, we see Paul respond to uh, some of the implied accusations against him, we see that we should expect sin even in faithful ministries. We should expect sin even in faithful ministries. Second, we see Paul call us to respond to sin biblically. So we should expect to find sin. When we do, we should respond to it biblically. And then finally, we should trust the outcomes to the Lord. So expect sin and even in faithful ministries, respond to sin biblically and entrust the outcomes to God. One of the one of the essential dynamics that appear to be going on between the Corinthian church and Paul is that among all of these dysfunctions, right? Again, the uh, the those mentioned in chapter twelve, verse twenty, the list there. Uh, of things being termed general disorder, the sexual immor- immorality and, uh, and impurity uh, going on there. You remember from 1 Corinthians how that was egregious, even beyond what the pagans were doing, where a man had his father's wife, and Paul had to excommunicate the man uh, in his letter there. Uh, there's been some very serious problems, and there have been repeated charges made against Paul uh, of him being weak. You see this language throughout here that uh, he says in verse 3, you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, uh, for he was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. We also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And this focus on weakness and this allegation that they, they demand proof, they're asking proof, Uh, for proof from Paul that Christ is at work. They're charging him with weakness. They're charging him with being ineffective in his ministry, uh, almost certainly because of the problems that are going on. And you can think of how this might make a kind of human sense. If the the church is full of all kinds of disorder and all kinds of sin, uh, one very logical conclusion that we might make is, well, something must be wrong with the the leadership of that church. Maybe it's the pastor and the elders' fault. But in this particular case with Paul, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The fact that the Corinthians are sinning is not the Apostle Paul's fault. It's not a sign of weakness of the gospel. Paul has been very firm throughout both 1st and 2nd Corinthians that he has proclaimed Christ faithfully to the Corinthian church And these sins are not a sign of deficiency in Paul's ministry. We we live in a day and age where it seems the the news uh, opens up some new scandal in some church or another every other month. Uh, I'm sure that all of you have at least heard something of the recent scandal that has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention of many abuse allegations and uh, coming to light. 
we don't have to go uh, we don't have to go far outside of the church. We don't have to leave the church at all to find all manner of scandalous sin. And it can be tempting to uh, to throw out the baby with the bathwater, as it were. That when sin uh, when sin rears its ugly head in really evil, despicable forms, to conclude, well, all organized religion is a problem. An entire denomination needs to be considered non-Christian. An entire church needs to be left. You know, these kinds of uh, thought processes can be, uh, can be common, and we have to be careful because we see clearly uh, you couldn't ask for a better pastor than the Apostle Paul, I don't think. Uh, I don't think that any of us would, would expect better ministry, more faithful ministry, than from uh, the man that God used to write a significant portion of the New Testament. And yet, despite Paul's faithful ministry to the Corinthians, sin abounds. And it was not the Apostle Paul's fault. And it was not a sign of weakness. The Corinthians are drawing wrong conclusions. He's just, uh, earlier in chapter 12, he told them in chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 12, that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Uh, they've seen the proof that Christ is at work through Paul's ministry but because of all of the disorder and the sin that is in the midst of their church, they are now drawing false conclusions and they're demanding proof from Paul that uh, Christ is really at work in and through him. Uh, they were expecting that if Paul was faithful, there wouldn't be problems. If any of you have ever asked a pastor or an elder or just another uh, mature Christian to talk to someone and to try to encourage them to stop sinning in a particular way, and it had no effect on the person, uh, you probably know the temptation to maybe be frustrated with that brother or, uh, or sister who went to talk with them. You want to, uh, you want to get results, and sometimes God's word doesn't produce, produce the results that we want. And in this case, the Corinthians wanted to blame Paul, and they wanted to go follow someone else. And brothers and sisters, we must not make this same mistake. Sin remains, and the sin that remains in our hearts is no less wicked than the sin of anyone outside these walls. Perhaps uh, by the grace of God, it has been restrained in our lives. Perhaps it is less heinous, less obvious, but the essential nature of it is no less wicked than the sin of anyone else whose sins are perhaps more obvious. And so we should expect that even in faithful ministries where the gospel is proclaimed faithfully, there's going to be sin. And it does not necessarily mean that that church or that pastor or that session or that denomination is guilty of being ineffective in their ministry. Sin is in the church. Sin remains in us. And it can and does at times come up in ways like it did in Corinth that are problematic for the entire body. And so what are we to do when this happens? Well, Paul calls the Corinthians to respond to sin biblically. We see this uh, in verses 1 and then throughout uh, these, uh, these verses following, but particularly his uh, his statement there in verse 1, that every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's very unlikely here, uh, it's a question of who's bringing charges against whom. It's unlikely from the context that the Corinthians are bringing charges of sin against Paul. It seems from the, the language that, 
that Paul is using uh, throughout this letter, even here that, uh, that they are seeking proof that Christ is speaking uh, in me, that they've uh, taken advantage of them, chapter 12, verse 16. Uh, it seems that their response to Paul is to accuse him of being ineffective and deceitful and then to ignore and leave Paul to go follow after other teachers, uh, to go follow after the super apostles. That seems from the context of, uh, of the book to be the Corinthian church's response to Paul, not to charge him with sin as if to prosecute him, but to simply dismiss him with an excuse and follow somebody else. So most likely the, the context here coming off of uh, chapter 12, verse 20, the disorder, the quarreling, the jealousy, anger, hostility in the church, most likely this is people within the church bringing charges of sin against other people in the church. Right? The, char- the, the word charge there is an accusation of sin. So there's people in the church accusing others of sin. And from what he says in verse 1 of every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, we know that the situation is bad. We know that we are here in in the Corinthian situation. We're past that first stage of biblical reconciliation following Matthew 18 where Jesus instructs us that if we have uh, an offense, if we've been sinned against by a brother or sister, the first step in the process is you go to that person and you confront them, uh, and you ask them to repent personally. If that doesn't work, then you take two or three with you that every charge may be established. So we're already into, uh, into a situation here that Paul's speaking to that is a mess. It's starting to spiral out of control. The landmines are starting to go off. Uh, things are not looking very good. This is past the point of, of, of easy individual reconciliation. And now there is contention over if the charges are true, if they are not, and what should be done in response. Uh, the function of uh, providing two or three witnesses does a couple of things in the biblical process of reconciliation. On the one hand, it establishes that, the, that an accusation of sin is true. Uh, I, could, I might be able to get my feelings hurt by something that someone did, and that may not mean that somebody sinned against me. I could feel sinned against in some way, and it may not necessarily be the case that I actually was sinned against. So, perhaps, so one possible function of having two or three witnesses uh, come along is to say, you know, this accusation of sin, it's really not sin. It's something else might be going on here, but this person hasn't sinned against you. Uh, but on the other hand, if there is sin that has occurred, and it's not just one person coming to another, it's now three or four people in agreement that sin has occurred, this then carries much more weight with it. And we would all do well to have this deeply established in our understanding so that if we ever find ourselves in the position of having three or four uh, Christian brothers or sisters sitting down with us saying, hey, brother, sister, this is a problem. You need to repent. You need to deal with this. Uh, That is something that should be taken very seriously. It is not uh, weakness. It is not weak Christian ministry, but it is a part of the demonstration of the power of God. The Word of God confronting sin, uh, doing so in Uh, That ever-increasing capacity, if sin is not repented of, that leads ultimately even to the whole church uh, making pronouncements.
So what are we to do? On the one hand, Paul's warning to the Corinthians here is a striking reminder to us to guard our own minds and hearts and to be striving to repent of our own sin lest it start spiraling out of control on us and we ourselves wind up in this kind of position. Uh, right? Paul is now in a position of potentially having to execute church discipline because brothers and sisters in Corinth have not been repenting of their sin among one another. They've been doubling down and fighting with one another and refusing to listen to Paul and refusing to listen to the word of God through Paul. And it's becoming increasingly unworkable. And it's a good reminder to us to always be repenting of our sin. To always remember that no matter how innocent our sin seems, if we do not repent of it, it always has potential to spiral out of control, to cause problems in Christ's church, and to put us in a position of very real danger if we do not listen to the scriptures, if we do not repent of our sins. And it's a reminder to us as well that if and when sin starts to spread, and again, we should expect that at some point in time it will, even in faithful ministries, even in our churches, that we have to be careful with how we respond. We must be careful to follow the scriptures, to not try to manipulate and control things according to our own schemes. We must not commit the same error that the Corinthians evidently were doing of some form of Abandoning the word of God, abandoning Paul because they believed it was weak and ineffective, and going after some other method of dealing with the problems. Uh, We must follow the word of God. We must bring the word of God to bear on sin, and that involves following the procedures that his word sets out. It involves going to people privately, then bringing two or three more along. If there's still no reconciliation, then escalating it to the session, and then ultimately to the whole church, if that is where things go. And in all of this, we trust the Lord to be at work. Paul emphasizes here that this is not weakness in Christian ministry. Uh, He says, Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives now by the power of God. We also, implicitly, we ourselves are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that his ministry of bringing the word of God, declaring things to be sin, declaring repentance to be needed, and if repentance doesn't happen on this third visit, uh, declaring some to be outside of the church of Christ, this is the power of the risen Lord Jesus. Even though it can look weak and ineffective, because on the one hand, I and you and no one else, we can't make someone stop sinning. We can't make someone believe in the Lord Jesus. We can't, we can't compel someone to have saving faith or to repent. And that can be very frustrating if someone you love is doing things that are spiritually harmful and self-destructive, even to the point of leaving the faith or refusing to believe. And it can be tempting to think that the Word of God has failed or is weak or we need to find some other method to to produce the outcome that we want. And we must remember that that is not the world we live in. We do not live in the world where God's word serves our purposes. We don't live in the world where we we get to use God's word 
to get God to do the things that we want God to do. And when God doesn't work the ways that we expect, and when God doesn't fix the things that we want God to fix in the way that we want God to fix them, it is not appropriate for us to then implicitly or explicitly accuse God of being weak and ineffective. No, the power of the risen Lord Jesus is at work through His Word, through the pronouncement of the Word of God. And when we are confronted with God's Word, when it comes to us to to confront us about our sin and to call us to repentance, that is the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus at work in our lives. And our prayer for one another and for others and for those who are under church discipline or in danger of becoming under church discipline or for those who have wandered outside of the faith, our prayer simply needs to be that the Lord's will would be to call them back to repentance and to call them back to faith and to trust that God can do this by his word. Paul is not changing his ministry methods here because the Corinthians are unhappy with him. He's not changing what he's doing because they are unrepentant and not listening. He's going to come back and he's going to continue to preach Christ. He's going to continue to uphold the word of Christ, even if that means uh, that some are not repenting and face his discipline. And we have to be careful to entrust ourselves and to entrust one another within the church to the Lord. He's the one at work in building his church. He's the one who's calling in whom he's going to call in. And he is going to, uh, to not call whom he's not going to call. And we can't force God to do what we want. We had a, when I was church planting in Chambersburg, uh, we had to, and we, we started the church plant in 2014. We had a small church plant of about 25 people. And uh, we got to do church discipline on three different families. Uh, in a church of 25. It was, complete, it was a complete disaster. We were right there with the Corinthians. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to have to excommunicate a man who I had thought would be an elder candidate in the church. He was seminary trained. He presented as a very godly, mature man and found out he had been cheating on his wife for years. And he got caught and he got excommunicated. And it was very sad. But it doesn't mean that the word of God failed. And it doesn't mean that the ministry was weak and ineffective. It means that there was a sinner who chose not to repent of his sin. And so we had to uphold God's word and follow through with the kind of discipline that Paul threatens the Corinthians with here. It can and does happen. And it's painful and sad when it does. It's a grievous thing. But it's not a sign of any problem with Jesus or any problem with uh, the church necessarily. It's part of life in this present evil age where sin remains. Uh, And God's word is not going to fail, brothers and sisters. He is going to accomplish exactly what he purposes in your life and in the life of your families and in the lives of your communities. And you can have confidence to bring God's word to bear knowing that he is not weak. And you bringing God's word to others is not weakness, but it is rather a demonstration of living with one another in the power of God. The words that we read in Scripture are the words of the risen Christ. 
And so we can trust Him with the outcome that where sin, where there is sin, we can pray that others will repent, but where they do not, we can trust that God is working out His sovereign and gracious purposes. And we know that we as Christians are the only ones who have any hope of real reconciliation. Right? God's Word tells us that He is a God of reconciliation. This is that Paul calls his ministry the ministry of reconciliation. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He has reconciled sinful men and women to himself at the cost of his own son. Uh, God is a God who is in the business of working reconciliation, bringing peace where there was once conflict. This is what God is at work to do. And so we can entrust ourselves to him, we can entrust our church to him, we can entrust our relationships to him, and we can even entrust those we love who are sinning, who are even not repenting. We can entrust them to the Lord knowing that he is at work and that he will build his church and he will build us up by his word and he is not weak and we do not need to demand proof that Christ is alive Uh, We have the proof that he is alive. We have his word. And that is sufficient. And it is sufficient to deal with sin and sufficient to help us and sufficient to help our churches even when that becomes every bit as much a mess as what the brothers and sisters in Corinth were dealing with. And brothers and sisters, in that hope, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you again for your word. And we thank you that it is powerful and effective, that it is sufficient as your Holy Spirit uses it to convict of sin, to grant repentance, to grow us in faith and love. We pray, Lord, as we see our own sin, as we see and examine ourselves in light of your word and find that we fall short, we pray that you would give us soft hearts to turn and repent quickly, lest our own sin break out and start to cause greater and greater problems. And yet, Lord, we pray that where we do see the, the, larger, uh, the larger, more aggravated sins occurring, we pray that we would uh, not use that as an opportunity to doubt your word or to doubt the power of Jesus, but that we would use that as an opportunity to return to your word, to follow Uh, after what your word tells us to do, that we would be those who confront sin biblically, that we would not try to uh, unbiblically manipulate or coerce a situation to secure an outcome that we want, uh, but that we would use your word rightly, that uh, that we would trust you, that you and your word are sufficient to confront and to deal with sin, not only our sin, but the sins of others around us as well. We pray, Lord, that for our churches here in central Pennsylvania, we pray that this ministry of reconciliation and peace would be fruitful and that we would be uh, brothers and sisters who are quickly reconciling to one another, uh, imaging amongst ourselves that great reconciliation, that great peacemaking that you, Lord, have first accomplished with us, making peace with sinners by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that he is not dead but is alive and lives forevermore. And that we get to live with him in the power of God. And Lord, all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.